So today's sermon is titled, Take It to the Lord in Prayer. Uh, many of you will recognize that phrase from a hymn you might know, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about the man who wrote that hymn. His name is Joseph Scriven. He was born in 1819 in Ireland. And he was privileged to grow up in a loving family that gave him a great education. They, they had some wealth. And he grew up as a Christian young man. He knew what it was to be friends with God. Tragedy happened to him the day before he was scheduled to be married. His fiance drowned. A huge tragedy. In the aftermath of the pain and the heartache, uh, Joseph Scriven found the solace and support through his relationship with Jesus Christ. Soon after the tragedy, he left Ireland for Port Hope in Canada, and he determined to spend his time there being a good friend, a helper to others. He wanted to serve other people with love in Jesus' name. As a result, he became known as the Good Samaritan of Port Hope. Well, later, his own mother became ill back in Ireland, and he wanted to write her a letter to um, comfort her, to bring her some hope. And he just recently written a poem, and he includes that poem in this letter to his mother. Um, you'll probably recognize the first stanza. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I'm sure you, many of you can recognize this from that hymn I mentioned, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It's encouraged so many people. And there's also a line in that hymn that talks about us being, are you weak? Are you heavy laden? And we can relate to that. Um, many of us know what it's like to have trouble. And we know what it's like to be with others as they go through hard times as well. And the fact that we can turn these troubles over to God is a huge comfort to us as Christians. The New Testament church of Philippi was also in great need of this type of comfort. Uh, the church in Philippi is dealing with issues of disunity. Um, they were dealing with false teachers who were trying to take them to a different gospel. You might not know this, but the city of Philippi was under the guard of a Roman army. It was a, an outpost. And the man who had planted their church, the Apostle Paul, was currently being held as a prisoner for his belief in Jesus Christ. They had some things that they could call legitimate worries and troubles in their life. I'm sure that they were tempted to fall into a place of great temp, uh, frustration. I'm sure it pressed on their patience what they were going through. You know, there was plenty that they could worry about and complain about. And Paul, who's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he doesn't want to see it go that way. He doesn't want them to become a bunch of complainers. Um, maybe you can relate to that. Are, are you carrying some weight in your life today? When you put your head on the pillow at night, are there thoughts running through your mind that keep you awake that you keep on thinking about? I'm sure you also don't want to fall into a place of complaining, and there might be some anxiety in your life. Well, what does Paul, the imprisoned missionary and church planter, say to those people living in Philippi? What does the Holy Spirit want to say through his word to us today? Our text is Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts 
and your mind in Christ Jesus. We can see in this passage why we pray, uh, what we pray, and how prayer affects our whole person. Let's talk about why we pray. You know, there are so many great reasons to pray, but in the context here of this letter to the Philippians in chapter 4, the reason that we're taught to pray is because prayer defeats worry. There's a prayer, or a power that prayer has against anxiety. Just seeing the command, don't worry about anything, can get a person worried. Because now I'm worried that I'm worried about something. Can you relate? So I brought with me a pair of sunglasses today. You might recognize them. If you were at the gathering with me, we uh, got these in California. And um, what happens if I'm to breathe some warm air onto the sunglasses like this? And then I try to look through them. Okay, so you're all pretty fuzzy now. It's a cloudy experience for me. Uh, this is a picture of what worry does to our life. It clouds our perspective. It makes things difficult to see. It is not a helpful thing for us. We get this anxiety. We don't see things clearly when we're looking at it from a place of worry. Jesus teaches us on worry most famously in his Sermon on the Mount. And you can read about that in Matthew 6, starting verse 25. I'm going to paraphrase the beginning of it for you. Jesus says in his sermon, don't worry about what you eat or drink. Don't worry about the clothes that you are going to wear. And here's why. Look at the birds. They do not have the skills to plant seeds. They don't know about harvest time. They don't know how to store these things up. But they're well fed because God loves them and takes care of them. And Jesus says to his listeners, and God has far more value on your life than a bird will ever have. You don't need to be worried. God's taking care of you. And don't put so much worry into the clothes that you're going to wear, um, how people are going to see you. Consider the, the grass of the field. And there's wildflowers in the grass. And they're beautiful. And then you think of King Solomon and all his wealth. And he was not adorned anywhere near as wonderfully as the grasses with those wildflowers. But tomorrow that grass is going to be plucked up and thrown into a furnace for fire. Yet God clothes it so nicely. You are worth far more than this to God. He will take care of you. Jesus finishes it off by saying this. So don't worry saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is such a great teacher. I just think he's fantastic. Best teacher, right? Jesus, Son of God. God is willing and God is able to take care of us. He can. But worry will distract you. It'll pull your focus from God. It'll pull your focus from his power. And instead, you'll be looking at your problem and your pain. And it'll feel like they're on top of you. And how do you get out from underneath them? So what are we to do? Uh, the, the problems are real. The pain is real. The world is hard. And it seems to me that when something bad happens, my first instinct wants to worry. But that's, that's just where I want to go first is worry. And the Bible is saying, well, no, you've got to go first instinct to pray. So can we develop a habit of prayer that will put worry out of the equation? Can you in your own life find a way to have a first response that says, pray first, and then we don't have to worry about the worry? 
Don Carson, who is um, a theologian and a pastor that I really respect, he summarizes up this chapter this way in his commentary. It's really great. It's actually a good application point for all of us. He says, Resolve not to be anxious about anything, but learn instead to pray. Why we pray? Because God is bigger than our worries. God is bigger than our problems. He's overall. He is almighty. He can do it. So why worry? Why we pray? Because Jesus tells us not to worry. In God's eyes, you have worth. You are worth far more than the birds, far more than the fields of the, of the, of the, um, the fields. God sees a value in your life. He's going to take care of you. Why worry? Why we pray? Well, quite frankly, it's just a lot healthier than worrying, isn't it? There's more to learn, though. Uh, let's look at verse 6. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The words anything and everything stand out here. Don't worry about anything. That is very comprehensive. It includes whatever it is you might be worried about right now. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, in every single circumstance, pray. You know, it's not just for the big things that we need to go to God in prayer. It's everything. Nothing is too great for God. Nothing is too small for God. And anything can find a way to bring you worry. So in everything, pray. What are you going through today? What's got you weighed down? Have you prayed about it? Could we pray about it together? Let's learn about how that prayer might look. Now, we're told to present the prayers and petitions with thanksgiving, aren't we? Um, there's different ways to think about thanksgiving. Charles Spurgeon had an illustration that gave me a different way to think through thanksgiving. I thought I might share his illustration with you. So he talks about this family, and there's a young boy in the family. Maybe he's, we'll say, 12 years old. And he has a habit every single night of going to God in prayer. He prays for God's blessing on his family, on his life, and these sorts of things. But throughout the day, he is disobedient, uh, disrespectful, um, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the pest of the home. And as he goes to, to his um, bed to pray at night, his mom says to him, like, don't you think it's a little bit hypocritical to be praying this way? You're praying for God's blessings, but here you are being disrespectful and disobedient. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. And the little boy replies, well, what I'm doing is I'm praying that God will teach you and dad to appreciate my ways. All right. Well, that's just um, that's not the way we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to have a thanksgivingness about us. It's it's um, if, if we're not praying with thanksgiving, is what happens is we begin to think about things through our perspective and the way that we see things, and we're not thankful to offer for what God's word could do in our life. Now, think about a different illustration. Think about a mother and her sobbing child. Maybe, maybe this child has skinned her knee, and she's crying about it, and it's a big deal because skinned knees and always are big, big deals to little kids. And the tears are flowing, uh, the snot is bubbling, just it's a sorry situation. And the mother comes up to the little girl, what, what's wrong, honey, what happened? And the child will tell a little story, and she'll just pour out her heart, here's what happened, and blah, blah. You know, it's an important story at the time. And the, what does the mother do in response? Uh, the mother pours out her love. She takes the little girl in her hand, maybe cleans the wound, kisses the owie, puts the Band-Aid on. 
But that, that child feels a safety because they've told the story and they've been met with this sort of love that holds them safe and holds them tight. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care on him because he cares about you. I'm so glad I have a God who cares about me. You know, God didn't have to care about us. Um, we're, we're born sinners. We're, we're born in rebellion to God. He didn't have to show us love, but through Jesus Christ, we have this relationship with God, and he cares about us. We can cast our cares on a God who cares for us. He is willing to take our cares on himself. He is strong enough. He is almighty. He can deal with these things. The words prayer and petition mean almost the same thing in this context. Uh, What we're talking about here is a divine entreaty, a divine entreaty, an earnest request to God that you make in humility. We pray from a position of humility. We we don't command God of what we think he ought to do. God's the creator. We are the created. He's almighty. He can do whatever he wants. We can't even make it rain or snow or stop raining or snowing. God can do all things. We pray to him from a position of humility. We have a correct perspective. And whatever it is that I'm worried about, I want to go first to God in prayer about that thing. I need to be careful to not go first to my neighbor and tell them my worries. When trouble comes, and trouble does come, when I don't understand why things are happening the way that they are, it can be overwhelming. Uh, When I'm hurt, when I'm sad, my first step needs to be prayer, and your first step needs to be prayer. Let, Let me tell you why. When I pray, God does a work on my heart. A prayer, in one sense, is surrender to God. It's saying, not my will, but your will. And so... In prayer, I know that God's got my heart, and he can begin to soften it with his love. He's got my mind. He's got my thinking. I'm saying, God, I, I want to do what you have for me. And he can begin to help me see things from his perspective. But what if prayer isn't my first step when trouble comes? What if complaining is where I start, or going to other people and unloading on them? What if I'm talking from a wounded and a broken heart with thinking that's clouded over by worry, and the perspective just isn't good or healthy? That's not good. It's it's not best. When trouble comes, our starting place is to take those troubles to the Lord in prayer. That's where we begin. Look at how Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. Uh, This is just the closing of a beautiful prayer. He says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He is giving God the glory in this prayer. He's got the correct perspective. Even before he sees the answer, he's giving God the glory, isn't he? Paul is trusting his all-powerful God to be faithful. And it's easy to see how Paul would include thanksgiving in his instruction on prayer. You know, I told you the story that Charles Spurgeon told about, about that, that kid who came to his... Um, he was praying, and the prayer was that God would help um, his parents to see things from the kid's perspective. You know, many people want for God to like their ways better, but they do not intend to follow God's ways. And so that means that their minds aren't submitting to God's will, like this child. And as a result, you can't find any thanksgiving in them. So that story I began earlier, Charles Spurgeon finishes it up with this sentence here. He says, Praise in a prayer is indicative 
of a humble, submissive, obedient spirit. When it's absent, we may suspect willfulness, willfulness and self-seeking. So why does thanksgiving belong with prayer and petition? It tells us that as Christians, we truly have everything to be thankful for. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Apart from God's grace, we are dead in our sins. And he loves us to the point of giving us his only son so that we might be saved. We have everything to be thankful for. When we pray outside of a thankful heart, we're not making requests to God as much as we begin to make demands of God. So we ought to pray and present our prayers and petitions with thanksgiving to God. And that's how we're to let our requests be made known to God. We can't command God to do anything. Our rightful place is always to give God glory. We can't do anything but make requests. So why do we pray? Because worry and anxiety clouds our hearts and minds. Prayer leads us to God. He's our only hope. You know, God really is our only help. He's the one who's above all. Uh, What do we pray? Well, like a child who goes to their mother's arms because they're scraped and hurt. We tell God our stories of hurt. We make our requests to him with thanksgiving. You know, prayer affects our whole person. It's really an amazing thing that God has given us, this gift of prayer that we get to have, communicating with God. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And so what I mean here is that prayer doesn't just touch one part of who we are. It's not just like your hand is blessed or something at the end of a prayer. It's, it's all of you. Our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, uh, the way that we see others. Prayer is powerful for the work that God does in our lives through his Holy Spirit as we pray. And I find it fascinating, fascinating that Paul would say, don't worry about anything. Or your translation might say, don't be anxious about anything. And then he follows it up later on after he talks about the prayers and petitions with thanksgiving when your requests made known to God. He says, and the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So hearts and minds, that's like a holistic way of looking at somebody. That, that encompasses the whole of a person. We need God's peace in every single part of who we are. Uh, we, we need that. Let me tell you some of the symptoms that are common to anxiety. If you want to know where I got this list of symptoms from, it was from mayoclinic.org. Here's what mayoclinic.org says about anxiety symptoms. Feeling nervous, restless, or tense. Having a sense of impeding danger, panic, or doom. Having an increased heart rate. Breathing rapidly, sweating, trembling, feeling weak or tired, trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry, if you're having trouble sleeping, experiencing gastrointestinal problems, having difficulty controlling worry, having the urge to avoid things that trigger anxiety. You know, anxiety plays a big role in our city. People all around us, people here, are looking for all sorts of solutions to that anxiety. I know that in many cases, medical help is required. I'm all for people who need help from doctors getting help from doctors. God has given us the ability to study how the body works, to, to use medicine to our advantage, and I am very thankful for all the advances that um, doctors and medical professionals have made. They've got skills and abilities. They can help people who are hurting. I think that's a gift of God, and we should, um, we should access that. However, as the church, 
we also are able to help who is hurting because we can pray. We can pray to an all-powerful God. We get to pray to the one who created and designed us. We can pray to the author of life. And so to anyone who is going through anxiety this morning, through a worry, through depression, I'm all for you getting medical help. But I also ask that we would be allowed to pray with you and for you as well as a church. For I'm convinced that God cares deeply for you. I'm convinced that God loves you, every single part of who you are, and that God can use prayer as an amazing gift in your life. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? God lives in peace. He is totally separate from all anxiety and worry. Jesus was prophesied rightly to be named the Prince of Peace, a title that he deserves. Peace belongs to God. Peace cannot exist without God. A characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit operating in your life is that peace will be one of the things that is developed in you, a gift from God. God is not anxious. God is not worried, but he does care for you. God is good. God can guard your heart and your mind with his peace, and we need that. Let me just tell you what I do to try to, um, to put this verse into practice in my life. I've been doing it for a while, so it's actually more of a testimony of God's faithfulness than anything. So I know what it is to be troubled. I, I know what it's like in different seasons to be very confused or not at peace. And when I'm at my best, the way that I respond is I'll go for a prayer walk. So what I do is I head out from my house, resolving not to turn back until I've got some peace, until I feel like God's got this thing and I can come back and start saying thank you to God. And as I walk and I pray, quite out loud, by the way, I think that people watching me might really have cause to question my sanity, but um, I give God my emotions, I tell him what I'm going through, I lay out the situations I'm in, and I, I'll also use Bible verses. I'll say things like, um, God, I don't want to lean on my own understanding right now because clearly I don't understand this very well. I want to commit all of my ways to you. I want to trust in your wisdom here. I want to trust that you're going to do what's best. Um, I talk about how God's will for me is good and acceptable and perfect because I've been called according to his plan, his purposes in Christ Jesus. And so I'm walking along, I'm making my talks out loud to God, and I'm just giving to God. And I've got to tell you, there's not been a single time that I didn't return home because I wasn't thankful. Every single time I pour my heart to God and come to him in prayer, he always does a work in my life. He, he gives me a peace. And what will happen is my heart will get softer. Maybe I was upset with somebody, but I'll gain a compassion for that person. I'll begin to have a different sort of a feeling towards them. And it's, it's a Holy Spirit thing. It's, it's beyond my understanding. Or maybe God will begin to give me different ways to see things and understand things. And he's really faithful. Like every time, he's so good. And um, if, if God's faithfulness to me can be a, an encouragement to you, I would love for that to be the case. He just never lets me down. And we have such a faithful God. Um, I always come back because he always takes care of me. Praise God for that. So uh, this, 
verse that I'm preaching on is one of my favorite verses because it has done such a work in my life where God's proven it to be true so many times. Uh, God's peace truly does rise above um, my own understanding. And that's, of course, because God's thoughts are higher than our, our thoughts. Like, he sees the world from his perspective. We see the world from our perspective. His peace is greater than any peace that we can decide to manufacture on our own. And in the middle of life's heartaches, God's peace can keep you safe. In the middle of whatever you're going through, he can keep you safe. Uh, there's, there's a line in, in this hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. He says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit, and oh, what needless pain we bear. It's all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, the phrase, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, is actually kind of an ironic phrase when you think about it. Philippi was under the guard of the Roman army. It was a Roman colony and a military outpost. They knew what it was like to have a guard all around and to be guarded. Uh, the church who had this letter read to them could see the guards. They knew what that was like. And here's Paul writing them this letter about God's peace guarding their minds and their hearts, and he's in prison being guarded. And he's taking that oppressive thing that they're going under and saying, no, God's really the one who can guard your hearts and your minds. He's the one that can guard our lives. You know, when I leave for work in the morning, I lock my door, because that's the smart thing to do. But I'm trusting in more than locks for my family. I'm trusting in God's protection. It's God who is overall. God's bigger than anything that we can do. Let me give you some, some scriptures here. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. What does it mean to dwell in the shadow except that you're right up next to the Almighty? He's got you. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Uh, a commentator, Ben Witherington, says that peace in the biblical sense involves much more, however, than the absence of conflict or anxiety. It means the calming, healing presence of God. So the disciples were in a fishing boat out on the Sea of Galilee. It's been a long night, and they are in the middle of a giant storm. It's a terrifying storm. These are seasoned fishermen fearing for their life, and Jesus comes walking out on the water, and now they're super scared because they believed in ghosts. And that's what they thought was happening, because it's very strange to see somebody walking on water, obviously. And through, you know, Peter says, if that's you, really you, Jesus, call me out. And, and Peter gets the, gets the command from Jesus, yes, come. And he goes out on the water, and Jesus has to save him, because even though Peter started walking on the water, he looked at the storm all around him, and he started to sink. But, uh, but Jesus saves them, and they get into the boat. And he speaks to that storm, doesn't he? He says to that storm, peace, be still. And the storm obeyed Jesus. It was still. The sea was immediately at peace. He's the prince of peace. He can calm storms. What storm are you in? Have you given it to God in prayer? He will calm your heart. He will calm your mind. He can give you his peace. It's beyond our ability. It's up to God. 
I don't know what will become of your storm, for God does use all things for good, for the good of those who love him. You know, maybe you're in the middle of something right now that's really tough, but so is somebody else in there with you. And in the middle of the storm, God's peace in your heart will help you to help them in Jesus' name. Maybe you need to stay in that storm, but God can give you a calming, healing bit in your own life so that you can be a support for someone else. Or maybe you're in a storm and God wants to save you from it, and you get to tell the world a testimony of the faithfulness of God and how he um, is stronger and bigger. There are so many ways that God can answer our prayers. And he always answers in the way that is best, because he is God. The result? I trust him with my life. I trust his answers and his actions. I don't have to wonder if God's going to do second best for me, if he's going to do something that really didn't make much sense. I can pray to God knowing that he will do what's best for me. I can pray to God for you, knowing that he will do what's best for you. We can pray for God as a church, knowing that he will guard our hearts and our minds in peace, and he can do something special here because he is the Prince of Peace. I want to remind you of what the summary that Don Carson made um, earlier that I said. It's a really good application for your life. Resolve not to be anxious about anything. Learn instead to pray. One final thing I need to say about peace today is that God's peace is for those who are at peace with God. If you're not at peace with God, you cannot have peace from God. And I'll tell you why. It's because of sin. Now, sin is quite possibly the worst news I could give anybody. The fact that we are sinners is horrible. Uh, Sin is a terrible thing because it separates us from God. Sin is a terrible thing because it causes death. It causes us to hurt ourselves. It causes us to hurt the people we love. It's just bad news all around. And because God is holy, because God is righteous, he can't have sin anywhere near him. We've got a big problem. There's the Prince of Peace, and here we are with sinful hearts. What do we do about it? There's nothing we can do. It's outside of our ability to get to God, for he is holy and perfect and righteous. But God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son, so that by believing in him, we would not perish. But whoever believes in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, can be made right with God. See, Jesus took the punishment for my sin on his own life when he went onto the cross. The punishment that was meant for me, for my sin, instead went to Jesus Christ. Now, when I repent of my sins and believe in Jesus, God doesn't see the sin. God doesn't see, oh, you did this wrong and that wrong. I can't be anywhere near you, you sinner. God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on my life because I believed in Jesus. And he says, you're my child, you're righteous. I want you as my own. If you're not at peace with God, what you need to do if you want peace with God is to believe in Jesus Christ and to repent of your sins. Believing in Jesus Christ means that you believe, yes, he is the son of God. Yes, he proved his divinity by rising from the dead. And everything that he says in the Bible is true. So by believing in him, you want to learn what he said and you want to live that out. He's going to be the king of your life if you believe in him. Repenting of your sins means a change of mind and a change of your heart. You say, the way that I'm thinking about things, the way that I'm living things, isn't right, God. I repent of that. Instead, I want your ways and your, your plans for doing things. Change my mind and change my heart. You confess your sins to God, he deals with them. They're on Jesus Christ. And the amazing promise of God is that when we come to God through Jesus Christ, 
He calls us righteous, and he calls us his children, and we are given his peace. Sure, there's still troubles in this world, but we have God's peace. We have God's promise of an eternal life that's forever and starts right now even.